0: Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you are blessed, by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church and its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to redchurch.org.au. Well, good to be with you today. My name's Mark, and uh, we are deep into a series called Platforms to Pillars. The basic thesis of this series is that we are shaped by our society to, in a sense, imagine our lives as kinds of platforms where we platform ourselves, put ourselves above all others, and we are told that this is the way to live, to flourish. And we're contrasting this with the biblical way, which is to build our lives into pillars. Pillars are load-bearing structures, which with others take the weight and create space for the spirit God's presence to fill. And we also talked about how, in a sense, our entire society has become a giant kind of platform. We talk about digital platforms which are repatterning us in profound ways. I'm not going to go over that. It's very much agreed across the spectrum of our society that we are being shaped uh, by our society at a really profoundly deep level. And this patterning shapes our desires, what we look for, what we desire in the world. And often these desires benefit others. And what this means is that we have often lost touch with the pattern God wants for our lives. So in order to dig into this, we've been reading through the book of Exodus and we've been going on the journey with the people of God as they leave behind the exploitation of Egypt and move through the wilderness towards the promised land. A journey which should have only taken a short period of time, but actually takes 40 years as God takes them on this process of repatterning the people of God. Now, we're going to begin at Exodus 16, verse 2. And what we're going to do is read the story of when the people of God were fed on manna and quail. So I'm going to begin in verse 2, where it says this. In the desert... The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. There is a repeated theme that you will notice of grumbling. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Egypt to them in this time in their reimagining was an all you could eat buffet which they are contrasting with the reality of where they are now, which is they described in this way. You have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Slightly extreme, but this is what being hangry does to you. <laughs> then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions on the sixth day they are to pre- they are to prepare what they bring in and that is to be twice as much as they gather on other days this is revealing the struggles that the people are having when everyone's fed when everyone's comfortable when everyone's warm people tend to be happy but when people are lacking when they are cold when they are worn out when they're tired when they are hungry often the true desires of our heart are revealed. And what we see here is something which seems counterintuitive. The people, as we encountered them at the beginning of this story of Exodus, were groaning under the oppression of Egypt and the Pharaoh's system that he'd set up. They were suffering. Yet what we see here is them actually desiring to go back to Egypt, to return to where they had come from, even if it was exploitative and oppressive. But what we see in this story is that God has a grander plan in motion. He is shaping a people. He is building a people to be pillars. Now, to understand this, we need to understand some of the images at play in this story. And what we need to understand is heaven's role. As it plays in creation. And I've got some images, which is helpful. Uh, we're going to put the first one up now. And one of the things that many people miss is that when the scriptures begin, it tells us, often we, we, we see the scriptures as how earth was created. But what the scriptures tell us is also that at the beginning, at, when God creates the world, he also creates the heavens. So you have the world, which is this unformed mass, and then you have the heavens, And how the heavens operate are as a kind of blueprint for the world. The world is the raw materials which God is going to shape. They're ready for remaking, for repatterning. And heaven is like the architectural blueprint for the kind of house that God wants to build. Now a little clue here. This week we're going to talk about manna. Next week, we're going to talk about what happens on Mount Sinai. And the week after that, we're going to talk about the tabernacle. And if you're a very keen observer, you'll notice that these particular themes and images are going to just keep weaving. And we're going to see this, particularly as the idea of God building the world as a house. Just remember that one. And so heaven is an environment where God's will is fully realized, a house where he rules and where he reigns. And earth is like the, the clay that a sculptor receives in their mind. They have the image, the, the thing that they want to create. And creation is taking that blueprint, even if it just exists in the mind or in an architectural drawing, and then taking the raw materials and making something. It's the link between those two things. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5 tells us, speaking of the temple, it says, they serve it a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. And so anything that is created on earth that mirrors the kingdom of God originates in this heavenly pattern, which is then imprinted on the earth. James B. Jordan, a biblical scholar, says this, heaven serves as the model for earth in social, moral, and spiritual dimensions. Now, Things go wrong. In the book of Genesis, we see that what humans choose to do is to break with this role that God had given them, to take the blueprint of heaven and be God's builders in the world, building the world into a house. And instead, what they choose to do is instead pattern the world, not with the imprint of heaven, but actually their own patterns, their own desires, their own disordered quest to become like God's and to make creation in their own image. And so this breaks, it breaks down this this plan that God had seemingly to actually imprint the world with the imprint of heaven. But God always has a way. Now, because of this story where that pattern is broken down, what it means is we find our lives patterned by other things. We're often patterned by the wounds of our past We're patterned by the agendas of other people. We're patterned by our own disordered desires. And as I began this sermon by saying that increasingly we are patterned at this incredibly powerful way by everything from the ads we see, by the digital devices that we hold in our hands, to actually let our desires make money for other people. And we see this, this conscious or unconscious patterning in the Desires of the people of God in this moment. They want to return to the food, to the pots of meat in Egypt. Really, they want to return to the pattern of Egypt. They had been in slavery for centuries and that had deeply imprinted on them this pattern of Egypt, which represents, really, in the story, the power structures of the world. So we read in verse 3 where they say, If only we had died. By the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat, ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Now, what this shows us is there's a profound disconnect operating here. God has done this incredible thing. They've forgotten the story where God, through all of these plagues, comes and shows his powers, like showing his power over the Egyptian gods. They've forgotten the incredible Passover feast where God went ahead and they were spared the fate of what happened to the firstborn in Egypt. They've forgotten the incredible story we looked at recently where they went through the sea and the sea parted and God delivered them in this incredibly powerful way. They simply now are just wanting to go back, back to Egypt. And what this tells us is there's a disconnect between the deliverance the new creation that God has made, and actually the way that their identities are patterned. Their perceptions don't see the new reality. So something needs to change if they're going to actually walk into this new identity. You see, often deliverance can come, but deliverance without repatterning leads to frustration and stagnation. And I see this so often in pastoral ministry. God will come and do something in someone's life. And we get a new identity. We are new creations in Christ. But often the old patterns creep up and people see this distance between, in a sense, what they affirm with their words, but then what actually is lived out in their lives and what they experience. And they think the deliverance, that peak moment, is the entire story. But God has other things at play. And often this wrong patterning is most exposed, what this story tells us, at moments when we lack, particularly when our expectations are not met. And at those moments, the old voices reappear. See, patterns seem like a concept, but really patterns express themselves in the voices, the habits, the feelings that go against God's plans for our lives. One way you can test this is often just sitting in a situation and comparing what you feel, what those voices that often are inside us say against what the Spirit would say in a moment. The good news is we can be delivered by God and repatterned. We can get the victory and we can walk out the victory. But how do we do this? Well, let's keep reading the story. Exodus 16 verse 10 says this, and this is a strange part of the story. Like often when people remember this story, they forget this bit, but it's really quite weird in a good way. Now, just imagine the scene. People are walking, Moses and Aaron at the front, this vast amount of people walking behind them, and the people are just sick, and they're tired of this, and they're getting frustrated, and they're, they're hungry. This is like a really long car ride. You know, are we there yet? Can we get something to eat? There's a Macca's drive through Can we pull over? No, let's just keep going. And there's this sense where this conversation begins between Moses and Aaron and the people. And then... Off in the distance, something really strange happens. So just imagine that. They're having this discussion and then they look right and they see something. Exodus 16 verse 10. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. Weird. This is not a normal cloud. This is not a meteorological phenomenon. This is a spiritual manifestation of something happening. And the story sort of continues. So they're having this discussion about food. What are they going to do? They look right. And then over in the desert, they see this kind of cloud, a particular kind of cloud. What this is known in in biblical studies is the glory cloud. This is God's spirit coming to the world. And what this is, is a manifestation of the heavenly pattern. At the beginning of Scripture, at the very start of the Bible, we see the unformed earth, we see the heavens are created, and what's mediating in between them is the Spirit hovering over the world, ready to begin. Meredith Klein writes this, We behold in the Spirit presence hovering over the world at its beginning, the shape of the world to come. So imagine at this moment, people are stuck in their patterns. Moses and Aaron are frustrated trying to lead these people who they've led through this deliverance, this incredible thing. These people are continually grumbling. The people can't see beyond that. They're angry, they're hungry, they're frustrated, they're looking back to Egypt. This situation seems profoundly stuck in dysfunctional negative patterns. And then this interruption that, hang on, something's happening over there, a hovering Cloud. When you see a hovering cloud in the scripture, sometimes it's a dove, sometimes it's fire, watch out because something new is going to begin. As soon as you see that hovering cloud, it's a signal to you that new creation is about to be birthed. It's a signal to you that the pattern of heaven is about to imprint the earth. If you see a glory cloud, get ready for a heavenly repatterning. Verse 11. Here it begins. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you'll be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Is this simply God hearing the grumbling of the Israelites seeing the frustration of Moses and Aaron and going, all right, before we move on to the next thing, we're heading to Mount Sinai, going to give the, the, you know, the law, they're going to bring down these stone tablets, all right, just to get them there. Like, like this is the moment where perhaps you've got kids and they're hungry and you're just like, I know dinner time's in an hour, but just, just take the muesli bar and shut up and let me drive and not interrupt myself. Is God just simply going, let's just feed them, get some food in their stomach and then we'll get to the next thing? No. Something bigger is at play. Verse 13, that evening, quail came out and covered the camp. For those who don't know, I presume most of you do, but just in case you don't, quail are small birds that tend to scurry along the ground. Anyone here eaten quail? Well, a lot less than the other service. There was a lot of quail eaters in the other service. (laughs) pray for them. I don't know what's going on. That was like a lot of people. And there were people like nodding. And it was like this, I was like, I got a bit freaked out, but it's okay. <laughs> and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the rites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? This is what the name manna comes from. In Hebrew, it's like, what, what on earth is this stuff? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer, which I think is about 22 liters, for each person you have in your tent. Now think about this image. We must go back to the little map we had at the beginning, but with these additions. We had heaven above and we had earth. And the quail, when you think about quail, what is quail? Quail is an interesting creature. Very interesting to the 9 a.m. service. But the Israelites could not eat food which was not kosher. And one of the things around food which was not kosher was this sense of animals which scurried along the ground or scurried along the bottom of the sea. Now, the quail is an earthbound creature, but it's not completely unable to fly. It's just not a very good flyer. In fact, in researching this, I I read that if you startle a quail, often they'll go off in right angles and smash into walls, and even they often will go straight up like a rocker and hit roofs. So if you do have a quail and you're not in the business of eating it, just be very careful in startling it. So they eat creatures which are, in a sense, earthbound. They can fly a little bit, but they're pointing us to something. They're pointing us to the fact that God created the world for good. God created the earth to be shaped as an environment for us to live in. That's his original intent. God didn't create a faith where literally the entire purpose is us just getting out of here and escaping the world, that the world is good, and it points towards God. Now, interestingly, they don't just eat quail. The the, the balance, if you read the story, is they eat quail sometimes, but it's a reminder that God created this environment to bless us Now the other element in this feast that the people of God have is manna. Now most cultures at the centre of their cuisine is either bread or rice. These two very profound staple foods. These are foods around which other things often are served upon. They soak up juices, they're used often as a kind of implement. And We know when those elements often aren't part of the meal, particularly if you've grown up whatever cuisine you grew up with when they're not there. I remember seeing a a little story on the news about a community centre, I think it was in Melbourne's West, and the community worker had a bunch of women, all from different cultures, couldn't speak the same language. Most of them were refugees. And she was trying to work out, how do I just connect these different people? So vast, different backgrounds, different languages, different worldviews. But the one thing she realized united all of them was that almost all of them would make different flatbreads, so it was roti or naan or pita bread or whatever it was. So the thing that they would do together, they could not even speak the same language, but they would get and they would make these flatbreads and show each other their little tricks on making flatbread. Because flatbread or breads is sort of like this centering basic staple for us. That's why we sort of talk about you know, the bread of life. It's like it's simple, it's, it's profound, it's at the center of our domestic lives. We need it for our bodies, but we need it for our, our, our social world as well. There's a, a statistic that often when the price of bread becomes too much, the Arab Spring, there's some sociologists who believe the Arab Spring was triggered when actually the price of bread went above a certain stage. And these people have these formulas that if bread goes above a certain, certain stage, there's going to be a revolution because it's so central. To, to our society and who we are. But most, most grains, most rice or bread actually comes up from the earth. But what we have here is this central bread, but it doesn't come from the earth. Where does it come from? It actually comes from heaven. And what this is saying to us is that that central basic thing like bread, so needed for us as individuals and as a community, that this is actually going to be supplied by God, that we are going to be repatterned by heaven in this most profoundly central way, not by Egypt. So God in this story, and often this is how it's taught, is that God provides quail and manna to teach us dependence on his provision in the everyday. Is that true? 100%. But I just want to unveil, I think, another meaning in this story. If you think about these two things, and we'll go to the next slide, That what the people of God, at this moment, when they are confronted with the temptation to look back to the patterns of Egypt, God begins to repattern them with the goodness of the earth, but also to reorientate them with heaven being a basic staple for them, the food of heaven. And what the human then is, they take these two things inside of themselves, the quail running along the earth and the manna coming down from heaven is it reminds them of why humans were created. Humans were created to link heaven and earth. Before the fall in Eden, we see Eden as this overlapping place between heaven and earth. Humans are given this task to go into the world, to subdue creation to look after it, to ensure that it flourishes, to, through following God with the whole of their hearts and their minds and their souls, imprint into the world God's ways. As they have children, to teach those children God's ways. Humans are created to link heaven and earth, to bring the pattern of heaven down into the earth. We're called to be riches. And at this moment, this is what God is doing. He's turning them into ladders to heaven. That's a strange term. You've probably not thought much about that term, ladders to heaven. You may remember the Led Zeppelin song, Stairway to Heaven. Just played way too much that song. (laughs) If you read in Genesis 28, verses 10 to 18, you begin to see what a central idea this is in the Bible. We get a story of Jacob And I'm just going to read it. He's left Bathsheba and set out for Haran. He's on a journey in the middle of nowhere. Interesting. Parallel to the story in Exodus that we're reading. He reached a certain place and he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream where he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There is the earthly reality that he's involved in. He's in the wilderness. He's walking between two places. He is fragile. He's fraught. There are bandits. He doesn't have a house to sleep under. There's no tents that he can get from the, 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 the camping supply store. But then he actually sees through this dream the actual spiritual reality. That heaven and earth are not as far apart as one would think. That actually God's plan is for heaven and earth to be reunited. He sees these angels moving between the two. There above this stairway stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham and the God of Isaac. I give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you'll spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you whenever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This is a man who is being reconnected to the will of heaven. He's being told that he may at that moment have an identity. He had a name. Jacob was linked in Hebrew to trickster. This was this sense that this was a guy and he brought his wounds. He would brought his family history. And I'm not going to go into the story now, but there's a bunch of messed up stuff in there. And at this moment, at this link between heaven and earth, this ladder between heaven and earth, what God is doing is saying, listen to the voice of heaven. This is who you are. This is your destiny. This is my plans for you. This is what's going to come from you when you align yourself to this destiny. This promise that I have over my people, over people like Abraham, to have these descendants, this is, this is over you. And he wakes, this is profoundly transforming. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was seeing things simply through the lens of the world. But with this reorientation this repatterning to see this ladder to heaven he begins to see things completely differently he realizes god's presence was there that there are these thin places between earth and heaven and he didn't see it and initially he said he's afraid this is an awesome thing and that's why he says how awesome is this place and this is not like in Australia, like how awesome is this place like this is like awe filled massive take your breath away Cosmic small compared to what God has done in this place kind of exclamation. Now notice this line. I'm seeding little things for weeks to come. Remember the house line. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Remember that for coming weeks. Early the next morning, after this night before God, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, And set it up as what? A pillar. And poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. The Lord will be my God, and the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. He's building something. I don't think he knows what he's building. But what we're seeing is the theme that we'll be moving towards. That one of the things that humans are called to be as builders One of the reasons that we're called to be pillars is God's constructing something in the world. We're seeing the first tastes of it here. This is a person who is going about the business of building. And so we see the first imprints of what God is making in the world. Jacob's vision illustrates a ladder bridging earth and heaven. Evidence of God's salvation plan to again unite heaven and earth. If you've read Scripture or familiar with some of it, you might think, oh, that's the ladder to heaven story. But is that the only one? Heaven Ladders to heaven fills the Scriptures. There are multiple examples of this when you have the understanding and understand how God uses symbols in Scripture. There are many of these examples of these things which act as ladders to heaven. You see, we see the natural world and we see things in the natural world. We go, there's a tree. What the Israelites would see when they saw a tree, that in the biblical imagination, this was something which was like a ladder to heaven. It had roots which went down into the earth, a trunk which then pointed upwards, and then they would see the canopy of the treetops, all the leaves, as actually an example of or pointing towards the glory cloud. This is why in Psalm 1, it describes the believer who follows God as like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. It's an example, a tree is an example of a ladder to heaven. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it describes the believers, and we'll throw this slide up here of the different ladders to heaven. It describes the believers in the early church as being like living stones. Again, these stones, we often think of them as just a stone. They were like these pillars, these constructions. So Peter describes the early churches, as people being like living stones, which are being built into what? A spiritual house. Again, remember that in the coming weeks, to be a holy priesthood. Later on in Exodus, we read in chapter 24 that Moses got up the next morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. So we have these symbols Symbols of trees that are ladders to heaven, stones which are ladders to heaven, pillars which are ladders to heaven. But the most important ladder to heaven we can miss something else that's feet are on the ground that goes up. The top points towards the sky. Next slide. You. You, in your primary identity. In God's plan and purpose for you, in your destiny, is to act as a ladder to heaven. By living as pillars, we point to heaven. We unite heaven and earth when we follow God with all of our lives. We'll go to the next slides there already, thank you. You see, God's project and plan for our lives is for us to live as ladders to heaven. This is why Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. That we are to be examples, touches, manifestations of the way of heaven on earth. And when we see what Jesus does on the cross, a tree, and Jesus becomes the cornerstone of the new temple, In the temple, there were these two great pillars, these massive pillars that we see appearing uh, in the temple in the Old Testament. And those two pillars represented the king of Israel and the high priest of Israel. Jesus becomes both those pillars. So because of Jesus' pointing to heaven through his life, through his act of of sacrifice upon the cross, that he's taking of our sin that we actually can again be what we were called to be, to be ladders to heaven, to be pillars. So how do we do this? This is a beautiful image, but how do we do this in practical ways? Well, the first thing we need to do is understand that God wants to repattern your life according to the ways of heaven, but that is a process, Israel doesn't just come out of Egypt in a moment and walk straight into the promised land. Pillars are built in process. You see, deliverance often happens. Salvation often happens in a moment, but being a pillar happens in a process. And this involves moving from the patterns of the world, from the patterns of our past, our wounds, to some of the voices, which may be of our flesh or that of which is not God, which so point us in directions, and instead learning to listen to the voice of the Spirit who mediates the pattern of heaven over our lives. And the story of the manna and the quail, because they eat manna for a long time, shows us that this repatterning happens at a deeply basic and daily level. So the first thing is understanding that repatterning is a process. You walk it out. Israel is walking through the wilderness. Repatterning is walking out. Second, saying yes to heaven's way also means us getting out of the way. Pillars are built upon humility. Pillars point towards heaven rather than themselves. When we are patterned by the world, when we are patterned by sin, when we are patterned by our flesh, what we tend to do is we want to turn our lives into a platform. We want to actually get people to be patterned by ourselves, to see us, to get our desires met. When we do this, we get in the way of what God wants to do. One of the unlearnings that needs to happen is we need to learn to not make it so much about us, but rather point towards heaven. What the Spirit is saying rather than what we feel we are saying or even what we are feeling. This is so profoundly counterintuitive to almost everything that we've been taught. You are told to listen to your inner voice. You are told that what you feel at the center of yourself is the one true thing. We live in a secular society which in a sense demystifies everything. Like it wants to give the rational scientific explanation to everything except When we get to this, listen to your true voice. What is your heart saying? Go with your gut instinct. Like There's no scientific rational belief that you should just listen to your heart instinct. In fact, it would say that actually you're just a complete mass of of chemicals and DNA. Yeah, It's funny how secular society gets all mystical about this inner voice, that what you see you are on the inside, this is your inner voice of who you are, and you should follow that and never say no to that. Becoming a pillar is actually learning to unpattern that and, in a sense, be re patterned by heaven. And sometimes, sometimes that feels uncomfortable. Sometimes it feels new and unexpected. Sometimes it is hard and painful. Three, being a ladder to heaven. Remains, means reframing every situation we find ourselves in. Pillars point towards heaven in all that they do. Remember that scene in between the argument about going back to Egypt and the, ma- the the manna and the quail coming down, and they look right, and they're in the distance. Just popping up for a moment is the glory cloud. What that's saying is over that difficult situation, which seemed intractable, seems like they could not get through it, is that actually over so many areas of your life, which where you seem stuck, around relational frustrations, disappointments, hurts, woundedness, of the individual ones that you have, of the social ones and communal ones that we have as a people, that actually the cloud is often hovering and we miss it. New creation is always available with the Spirit. The Spirit is always hovering over the earth, waiting to do a new thing. And often we're like Jacob, we don't see it. And the irony that Jacob sees it when he goes to sleep, in a sense we're actually asleep now because we don't see it. So becoming a pillar is asking the situation in my work, in that relational conflict, in that addiction that seems to stick around, in that voice that always seems to undermine me, that seems to come from me. How do I instead seek the way of heaven? How do I act as a pillar in that situation? How do I actually, in every moment, bring heaven to earth in what I'm doing? This is the basic prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. He taught them to pray, your will, as it is, your will in heaven on earth to Bring down the way of heaven to earth. To bridge heaven and earth in every scenario in which you've been planted. Some of us are asking for God to take us out of certain scenarios that are difficult. And often what God is doing is allowing us to remain in those scenarios. Because what he wants us to do is to become bridges between heaven and earth in those places. Pillars linking heaven and earth. What I'd love to do now is I'd love to transition us into communion. There is a direct line between the Passover feast that happens as the people of God leave Egypt to eating of this bread, this manna that God provides in the wilderness and then the communion feast that Jesus has with his disciples and then beyond that to the feast that Jesus will have with us at the end of the age as his kingdom comes in fullness. And as we eat of that daily bread, we are repatterned in the way of heaven. So what I'd love us to do now is stand. Band's going to come forward. And as we do this, let's do this as an invitation to be repatterned by God, to choose heaven, to undertake the process of becoming pillars So when you're ready, the way that we do that is we have the crackers and the juice representing Jesus' blood and his body. We have two stations on the sides and at the back. And as we do this, let's do this as a yes to God, that we want to be patterned by heaven and point the way to heaven. Let me pray. God, we recognize how we've been patterned by the world in ways which misshape us. God, I just want to pray for us, what Jacob experienced. A man who went to sleep with his head on a rock. But you came, your spirit hovered over that moment. And in that moment, he discovered who he really was in you. He discovered his plan, your plan for his life, your purpose for his life, your pattern for his life. He saw in that moment that there is a thin place between heaven and earth, that the ladder was filled with angels moving upwards and downwards. And God, we know that your angels, your messengers, are here, that they help us, that your spirit is present, and that you're speaking to us. So, God, we just pray now that we can be repatterned after heaven. So as we come and we take this meal with you, may we say yes to being pillars, ladders to heaven.